Yeah. Cool. So we started last week. Um, Madai and Emma are out of town. They, um, she was surprised because her husband said, you didn't, didn't tell her. She was like expecting to be here this weekend. He's like, no, we're not going to be this week. He goes, yeah, why? He, he didn't tell her. So then she let me know on, on um, I think Friday, I was going to go visit her at her house. She said, we're out of town. He surprised me for my birthday. <laughs> so the, that's cool. Where'd he go? Yeah, I don't know, but he posted her. Did he? Cool. Oh, well, that's cool. I was going to go see her and her mother, and but I'll do it another time. Be cool. Okay, so last week we were talking about the rapture. Let's go to Revelation chapter 4. Let me explain something. Um, we're supposed to be salt and light until the moment we're taken out of this world. For sure. For sure. Uh, the world is going to get worse and worse and worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get massively worse until there comes a time when God is taking us out of here. It's called the rapture. Because he says, we're not appointed unto wrath. We're not appointed unto this time. We're, we're the church of God and God will take us out. This is the time. This is the dispensation of the Gentile age until he begins to work with the Jewish nation again. Uh, in the book of Revelation, we're going to see it. But until the Lord takes us out, we're not to have an attitude of like, well, it's coming soon, so I'm just going to just coast. I'm just going to coast. I'm going to get through. Maybe if i got a few more months left, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to be um, really concerned about what's happening around me. Remember, he told us to be fervent. He told us not to be mediocre. He told us not to be lukewarm. Um, all the way to the end, we're supposed to be the good wine. He gave us the example when he, he you know, performed his first miracle. They didn't have wine for the wedding. And somebody said, you know, hey, ran out of wine. There's this wedding, this feast, you know, part of the... And so... Mary found out she went, she goes to Jesus and he says, my time hasn't come yet. I've got nothing to do with it. But anyway, he performs the first miracle. <clears throat> and the point is what the director or the coordinator, they called it the, um, they called it the, uh, what do you call it? The master of the feast. But uh, here this, this guy who is basically the coordinator of the wedding, makes sure everything's right. And he's, you know, making sure the servants got everything where he's supposed to be. Um, he tastes this after Jesus has made water into wine. He's, he's, he's stunned. He's surprised. Because he goes to, the, he goes to the, the groom, and back it's different. Back then, it was, today, it's the bride's you know, parents. Are, no, back then, it was the groom. It was the, the, it's, it's a picture of the Father in heaven you know, preparing everything for his son and make sure everything's right. And then he calls when the bridegroom comes, the bride is supposed to be ready. And she's supposed to be waiting for him when he comes. It's the opposite in our culture. The bride's coming down the aisle and he's ready. It's the original one from the Bible culture. Is a picture of the father having prepared everything and then sending his son for the bride. When he sends his son for the bride, it's like the rapture. Come get your bride. It's time. And that's why you have to be ready. We have, can't be like the five foolish virgins that aren't ready. They were never saved. They're not invited to the wedding. They're not going to go. 
But so anyway, he goes, they, they give the um, governor of the wedding a taste of this stuff. He goes, whoa. He goes, usually the men put out the best stuff at the beginning. And when they've well drunk and they're all full and, it, you know, you're not really too concerned about eating anymore. It's like at the beginning, your food tastes really good. And at toward the end, you're kind of full. You care less, you know. Well, he says, well, most people put out the good stuff at the beginning. Then at the end, he just put out whatever. He goes, man, you've kept the very best until now. And a lot of times I'm asking God in my car before I get to work. And I'm saying, oh, God, make me the good wine all the way to the end. Make me the good wine all the way to the end. I don't want to get to the end and start coasting. I don't want to be the, that, that guy that starts out like a brand of fire and all of a sudden he just you know, peters out and there's nothing there. I want to be good at the finish. Be good at the finish. And we as Christians should be fervent for the truth and for right all the way to the end. We shouldn't say, well, Lord's coming soon. I could care less what happens. No, we shouldn't be that way because we don't know. A hundred years ago, they thought the Lord could come back any day. And so they said, well, why should we care? Well, there's another hundred years worth of life. Um, you know, the Lord could come back in the next minutes. We don't know. We know by the signs of the time, these are the last days. We know because what the God, what the Bible has told us. But we need to be about our Father's business to the end. Jesus was about His Father's business to the end. So here in the rapture, we're, we're faced with the church being taken out of the world. Verse or Chapter 4, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. After this, after the church age, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking to me, which said, come up hither or come up here. And I'm going to show you things that must be hereafter from here on forward. We saw in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that in the twinkling of an eye, the trump of God shall sound and the dead shall be raised and we shall be caught up, up into heaven and our bodies that are corrupt, that are mortal, that are susceptible to death and disease will be changed. And we'll be made incorruptible. We'll be transformed to glorious bodies. We saw in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 4 how that God tells us this. I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians. I think it was 1 Thessalonians. Um, I always get those two mixed up. Yeah, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. How the, the, those that are lost don't have any hope. I'll give an example about that guy that I saw at that funeral where I was officiating the funeral well, that poor old man was wanting to jump into the crypt there with his son that was being lowered into the grave because he had no hope that he would ever see his son again, ever, never. It was, it was very mournful. It was very breaking to see this old man cry and say, my son, I'll never, ever see, my, I'll never see you again. My son, I'll never see you again. And he says, I just want to go down there with him because he had no hope. He wasn't saved. And from what I understand of the man that died, he wasn't saved either. And so, you know, here's a man without any hope. Here's a, a, a man that's dead that's definitely without hope. And so we're, we're here to say, you know, God's going to call us to heaven. We're going to get out of this mess alive if we're alive when the Lord has the archangel blow that trumpet. And he says, come up here. Until then, we need to stand for what's right. We need to stand for the truth, for, for, for the gospel, for, for Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Nobody. And so we are at the end of the church age. Any day now we can be taken out. 
And as God prepares uh, to receive us into heaven, we have to be ready even until the last moment to be a witness to him on the earth. So we saw Enoch, who was raptured. The first person in the Bible that we see that is raptured is Enoch. He walks with God. Everybody else is living to about 960 some odd years. I think Methuselah, when his own son, lived to be um, 969 years. The oldest man recorded in the Bible that lived the longest. And in those days, they were living on her some odd years. But somehow, Enoch only lives 365 years, and he disappears. You see, he disappeared because God took him. God delighted in him. Remember, he walked with God. That should be how we are. You see, to the very end of uh, his, his walk on this earth, he didn't die unnatural death. He didn't get buried in the ground. He didn't get cremated, nothing. God took him alive into heaven. And we saw that. We saw that in, in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. God took him alive. But notice that <clears throat> the testimony of Enoch was he walked with God and then he wasn't anymore. Why? Because God took pleasure in him. If you read the book of Jude, it repeats the same thing. He took, he took pleasure in him. He walked him. God takes him home. We should be walking with God until the very moment all said we're, we're in God's business. All of a sudden, bam, the trumpet and we're gone. To the last minute, to the last minute, we should be walking with God. We should, again, I'll repeat, we should never coast because the time is almost here. I've seen people lose a race. I've seen people, they're trucking along on the track and they're about to win. They cut, they cut off the engines. They start slacking. And this other guy behind them or this other girl behind them is hungry. They're not going to quit. They give it their everything to the last minute and they pass them up and they win. And they're like, oh, you know, there's a bunch of videos where it, on YouTube where a bunch of people celebrated too early. And guess what? Because they coasted the last minute, somebody beat them because that person had the mentality is, I'm not stopping giving it my all until I cross that line. And so we're about to cross. So we should be completely uh, 100% faithful and, and zealous and fervent for him and not, not, uh, not slack and not half-stepping. The second one we see is Elijah. We saw Elijah that he wasn't just, and what we're going to see that he is raptured into heaven alive. But he was raptured many times in his life alive and taken up, picked up and put somewhere else. We've seen that. We saw last week where, where the king is looking everywhere for him. Ahab's like, look, I'm going to find this guy. And he's even talking to other kingdoms outside of Israel and says, promise me, swear to me, you don't know where he's at. Swear to me. They're like, oh, we don't know where he's at. We're only, we're telling you, we don't know where he's at. Because they're afraid of him. He was looking for Ahab to kill him. Because Ahab was preaching the truth. And Ahab was a liar, a miserable human being, a murderer. And he was an ungodly idolater, led the people into idolatry. idolatry. And so Elijah would speak to the truth. You're going to have people hate you in a world that hates the truth. Because if you speak to the truth, they're going to hate you. But you have to make up your mind, I'm not switching sides. They lose. They've lost already. I'm in the truth. Whether If I am killed, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you throw me into the fire, I will not deny my God. Throw me into the fire if you have to. God can deliver me. But if he doesn't, I'm going to die because I am not going to worship anybody but the living God. And those three guys were set, and that's how we should be. And that's how Elijah was. And so the king is looking to kill and to capture Elijah. 
And so one day, God says, go and show yourself to King Ahab. So all of a sudden, here's one of the servants of Ahab. He's looking for water somewhere so that the animals of Israel don't die in this thirst, in this, this, this dry, arid season that come. And all of a sudden, this, the, one of the servants of Ahab, who fears God, all of a sudden runs into, into Elijah. And, he, and Elijah says, oh my God, you're Elijah, oh Lord, I, we've been looking. And Elijah says, go tell Ahab. And we saw that in 2 Kings, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses uh, 7 through 15, we saw that. I'm just giving you a review. So he sees him and he says, go tell King Ahab that I'm going to find him. He goes, oh, please don't, why do you hate me? Why do I hate you? Well, he didn't say that, but we're like, what do you mean? We're looking at it from the outside. Well, what do you mean he, you hate him? Oh, because he knew that many, many times before God had picked up Elijah and transported him somewhere else. Just raptured him, boom. And he says, what if I go tell King Ahab that I found you and you're, he's, you're waiting for him here and all of a sudden I bring the king here and God, had God, not you decided, but God picked you up and took you somewhere else. The king's going to kill me. He, he's going to think I was lying to him. And he says, no. I came here for God sent me with that purpose. So go tell him. What that story tells us is they all knew. They all knew that many, many times before God had literally picked up Elijah, raptured him from where he was and put him somewhere else. He's not the first. Enoch was the first that we know of. God doesn't tell us everything. Maybe there were other people. God maybe didn't choose to tell us. We don't know, but we have to go with what God tell us, told us. And so this guy knew, and people knew it was a known fact that God had picked this guy up and taken him. So when we talk about the rapture coming soon, we're not talking about something new. This has gone on in, in, the, in the Bible for a while. And so next thing you know, when, when Elisha knows that Elijah's time is up, and Elijah's about to be taken out of the world, somehow the Spirit of God or God has revealed hey, his time has come. And what Elisha says is, you know what? I'm going to get myself close to Elijah. And I'm not going to let him go. I'm not going to separate from him. Because I know God is with him. And Elisha wanted something more than he wanted anything else. Elisha wanted a double portion of the spirit of God that was on Elijah. And so, you know, Elisha, or Elijah asked Elijah, or excuse me, Elijah asked Elisha, well, what could I do for you before I'm taken out of this world? He goes, I want a double portion of the spirit that you have with God. It's crazy. Some people in this world will be like, I want that. I want a brand new Mercedes. I want my house. I want a few hundred thousand dollars in the bank. I want this. I want that. I want career. I want. No, man. He goes, his focus was on God. I want a double portion of what God has placed on you on me. And Elijah tells him, You're asking a very hard thing, but if you're with me and you see me when I go to heaven, it's going to be granted to you. So you know what this guy does? Man, he latches on to Elijah and he's not going anywhere. Elisha tries to shake him off. Excuse me, Elisha try, Elijah always been, Elijah tries to shake him off like, I'm going here, I'm going there. And Elijah, Elijah's like, nope, I'm coming with you. Wait for me here. Elijah says, nope, I'm coming with you. We're easy to be dissuaded. We're sitting here thinking, man, you know, I'd like to come with you, but I'm really hungry. I'm going to stop by McDonald's. I'm going to see you a few minutes. Oh, I'm going to eat a little bit, but I'm going to go here quick. I'm going to take a quick pause. And we miss it. Or we're late for work. 
because we let something come between us and what we think we really want. And Elisha knew exactly what he wanted. Let me ask you a question. When we, when we see, read this story, do you know what you really want in life? Before God who created you, before the God who keeps you alive, do you know what you really want? You know what I've learned to do? I've learned to ask God, God, what do I want? <laughs> Basically, somebody would say, what should I want? God, change my wants to what you want. In me, I have this, but God, and slowly but surely, he will begin to transform you to where you want what he wants. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us to pray. So I want to be like one of the angels of heaven, and I don't know how they do it. Because if I were an angel, I'd be like, I'm going to stop that right now. And God's like, let it happen. There's a reason for that. And, you know, here these angels could come powerfully and change things and rescue. Sometimes God allows them to. There's been plenty of times, but sometimes not. And the angels know God knows exactly what he's doing. There's a purpose for it. So they obey. And they wait. And God helped me to be like that. Because sometimes I'm impetuous. I'm like, I'm trying. Hey, God, no, I didn't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. Just wait. And so, but here, Elisha knew what he wanted. I don't want to be a king. I don't want to be a servant of the king. I know it's going to be a rough life. I know the life that Elijah has lived. They have hated him. They've wanted to kill him. He's not a popular man, but I don't care. I want what he's as because God is everything. And I want to be, I want to be beloved and I want to be favored in the eyes of God. And I want the spirit of God on me rather than I would want whatever this world can offer me. And so Elijah knew what he wanted. And guess what? He got it. He got it. Look at uh, 1 Kings chapter, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Second Kings chapter 2. It's a long chapter, so we're going to try and cut it down. Okay, it says in verse 1, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven. Notice it didn't say when it was his time to die, like he told Moses. He told Moses, you're going to die. You're going to go up in the mountain, you're going to die. He didn't tell that to Elijah. He says, when it came time to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, not by being buried, nothing like that, that Elijah went with Elijah from Gilgal. And, and there's, there's a lot of repercussions here, so we're going to cut to the chase about what Gilgal represents and all that. And Elijah said unto Elijah, tarry here or wait here, just, you know, just kind of hang out here, I pray you. For the Lord has sent me to Bethel. That, you know what Bethel means? The house of God. That was where Jacob fell asleep on a rock and during his sleep, God saw it made, made him see a vision of this big stairway on this ladder where the angels were coming up and down, and at the end of the ladder was God. And he wakes up in a horror. He says, this isn't, I didn't know, but I'm in the very house of God. It's called Bethel. Before it was a place called Luz. But here he's in Bethel, and, and he goes from Gilgal to Bethel. And Elijah said to him, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, this is I'm telling you, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Elijah's like, you, 
as, as God lives, he says, as, as your soul lives, excuse me, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, as, as sure as God lives and as sure as your soul lives, I am not leaving you. Here, Elijah's saying, look, I'm going to go over to Bethel. You wait right here. You hang out right here. I'm going to be back in a little bit. Or I'm just going to go over there. And Elijah's not in your life or not. I'm going with you. I'm not missing this. How often do we let things in this world dissuade us, distract us from the very best thing God has for us? And, and all of a sudden, Elijah's like, you're going, I'm going with you, man, because I know God's taking you, and I want to be there to see it. I want to be there. I'm not going to miss this for nothing. I'm not hanging out over here. I'm coming with you. And so, and so he says, they went, so they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets, this is cool, the sons of the prophets uh, that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha. And they said to him, Don't you know or knowest thou, knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? He says, Don't you know it? God's revealed this to him. This is, this, is, this is cool what he says. He says, Yeah, I know it. Shut up. <laughs> in, in so many words, he says, Yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. Me. It's a nice way to say, Yeah, be quiet. I know it. Stop talking about it. He says, man, I know that. He says, I don't want, I, no. And, and, the, and the, it's not that he's saying no to God, but he's saying, I know that, just be quiet, because I don't want him to go from me, and I, I want to be with him. I'll, you know what? He wanted to be with a man that was so full of God's Spirit, and it wasn't so much about Elijah. He wanted to be around the Spirit of God. He wanted to be around the Spirit of God. When in this world, you like hanging around people that don't have the Spirit of God or that are lukewarm and not about God, there's a problem in you and there's a problem in me. When we like hanging around with people more that are of this world than we do with God, then there's a problem. Because and I'm not saying you got to hang around with people all the time because I'm not very social. not. My wife will tell you that. I'm, I'm, I'm a loner in, in, a certain, in a certain way. I'm not saying that I'm a, I'm a soch that these are in high school. Oh, you're just a soch. No. <laughs> not true. Not true. I, I can hang around people. I can for a little while, but after a while, my batteries run down. And I've got to get away. I've got to get away. I've got to recharge my batteries or I'll just, just melt, have a meltdown. And I've got to get alone. I'm like, God, help me. Restore me. Fill me. Because they've drained the life out of me, these people. And, and I, there are certain things in my life I really like. I like to spend time with my, my immediate family. And I go eat somewhere with them, hang out with them. I do. I go out after church. Sometimes last week we went out to this Mexican restaurant called um, Doña Maria's Tamales. Man, those tamales were out of this world, man. They were out of this world good. And, and I enjoyed not just the food, but being there with my family. And in, so to speak, breaking bread. You know, that's the old saying. And I like being with them. I, I, I enjoy that. But there comes a time when, you know, I want to be by myself. When I need the solitude because I need to talk to God. And I need to be filled with, with Him. And so Elisha's here is like, not on your life. I'm not leaving you. And Elisha said to him, Terry here, I pray you. For the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And again, he says, and he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. 
So they came to Jericho. This is the third place. Gilgal, Bethel, now Jericho. Each time Elisha could have been dissuaded and he could have said, well, okay, I'll, I'll hang out here. I'm a little tired. You got something to go. I'll catch up with you. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He said, no, I'm coming with you. As you live and as, or as God lives and you live, I am not separating myself from you. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elijah and they said, Knowest thou not that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? Again, and he answered, Yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. And basically, be quiet. And so, and Elisha said to him, Terry, means hang out here. Wait right here. Hold up here. I pray thee. I'm here for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, I will not leave thee. And they, and the two went, here's where it happens. Here's where it happens. They're all watching this, man. These, these sons of the prophets are all watching this from afar off. And this guy's not separating himself, man. He's like, I'm not going nowhere, man. I'm going to be with you because I want to see this happen. I want to see this. I want to be with you. And also he knew what he wanted. And he says, and the two went on. Now notice the prophets, they're not walking with this guy. They don't have the hunger for God that probably Elisha has. They're just kind of watching from a distance. You know, there are some Christians that are like that. They're kind of like, they're not really passionate about stuff. They're just kind of watching from a distance. They're Christians, but they're not, man, on fire, man. They're not, like, this is this is what I want. And I'm not saying you got to give up the world because Daniel was a very involved man in the kingdom of Babylon and Persia, but he was on fire for God. He was there. And so, and so was Joseph. Joseph was saying, man, he was, he was serving the king in Pharaoh in Egypt at the time, but he was very much for God. Matter of fact, they knew, they said, can we find such a man as this and who is the spirit of the living God? So I'm not telling you got to go off in the desert somewhere, but be filled where you are. And so, and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. Man, I'm, I'm going to watch this from a distance. Man, I don't want to watch anything from a distance. I'm going to be right there, man. I want to be right there. And the, two, and the two stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, his cape that they would wrap around themselves to keep warm, and wrapped it together. And he smote the waters. Poof, he hits the waters of Jericho and they were divided. Means they opened up just like the Dead Sea did, or just like Jer uh, the Jordan did when Joshua led the people across it way back when. And so they too went over on dry ground. It's a miracle. Dude, I don't want to watch it like the prophets from a distance. I want to be right there walking across the Jordan on dry land. How much do you want certain things? What are you willing to do? How far are you willing to go? How dedicated are you? You have to ask yourself those questions. How dedicated are you to want the things of God? And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elijah, this is it. Ask what I will do for you, what I should do for you, before I be taken away from you. Or from the, I'm just translating it from the Old English to the New. And Elisha said, I pray thee, because I'm begging you, I'm praying you, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Wow. And he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, 
it shall be so unto you. And if not, it shall not be so. Either you're with me and it happens or you're not and it's not going to happen. So you decide how far you want to go. He's already gone from Gilgal to Bethel, from Bethel to, to Jericho, from Jericho walking over to Jordan. He's, he's gone to this. And that's a nice trek, man. That ain't easy. That's not an easy trek. And he's not going anywhere. And he's not watching it from a distance. And he's right there. And it came to pass as they, uh, as they still went on. This is they're on their way. And talked. Man, they're just going about, this is cool. They're going about their business, man. They're not looking for a sign of any time now. They're just walking along. That, that's exactly how the rapture is going to happen. The Bible says that everybody's going to be, you know, doing this and that. And boom, in an instant, they're gone. There's no warning. There's no, there's no, there's no like pre-notice, man. It's like, boom, you'll be like, to, you're, like you're out there driving a car, you know, in the middle of the street. All of a sudden you're gone. The car just veers off, crashing somebody else. Or, <laughs> or you're, you're carrying a bunch of stuff at work. All of a sudden you're, you may all sort of the hamburgers go to the floor because there's nobody holding them anymore. You're gone or whatever. It just, it's gone. It's, it's just like that. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder, basically divided them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Here, here you're walking along and this big old chariot with horses of fire come by and swoop him up and you're left here and he's gone. That's exactly how the rapture is going to happen. You may be with somebody that's not a Christian. All of a sudden the Lord comes, whew, you're gone. And that person's left wondering, where'd he go? They're gone. It's the same thing, man. And I said, and Elisha saw it. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them. It says he rent them in two. He's like, oh man, he's gone. He saw this. Now my master is gone. But he doesn't realize what just happened to him. He doesn't feel anything. But in a minute, you're going to see that, the, that God, God honored his request. And a double portion of the spirit that was on Elijah is now on Elisha. And he took up, up the mantle of Elijah. That's a saying that in today, who's going to take up the mantle? Uh, recently, whether you like it or not, or like it, it doesn't matter. Somebody said that the mantle of Tom Brady is going to be passed on to, uh, what's that guy from um, uh, Kansas, uh, Mahomes or whatever. And hey, the mantle ain't passed yet, man, because Brady just beat the fire out of him. <laughs> so, but that's where the saying comes from. It comes from the Bible. Who's passing on the mantle? And it says here, and he took up the mantle of Elijah and uh, that fell on him, or fell from him, and he went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and he smote the same thing Elijah did. He wraps, he wraps up like he would a towel and smites the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He's like, Are you still here? It's a question. It's a question. He doesn't know. He doesn't feel anything. And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted here and there. In the, the, here and there, you know, they divided, and Elijah went over that's it. And when the sons of the prophets, here's, here's, the, here's the thing, when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at uh, Jericho, saw him, they said, the Spirit of the Lord does rest on Elisha. They recognized it. They saw what happened. 
And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master, lest preadventure, lest suppose the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you sh- uh, don't send, don't do this. Don't do this. Because they knew God had used, used to take up Elijah and put him over here, put him over there. This is a known fact. And they thought, well, maybe this is just like that time. But no, this time God didn't take him and put him on this mountain or in that valley or in that. No, God took him straight up to heaven. Elisha knows this. And says, don't do that. Don't go to anybody. He's, you're not going to find him. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, and basically they wore him out, go, oh, we're going to, okay, fine, just go do it. He said, send. And they sent, therefore, 50 men. And they looked for him or saw for him three days, but they didn't find him. And when they came to him again, because he was sitting there at Jericho waiting for them, he said unto them, didn't I say to you, don't go? Basically, didn't I tell you that? Didn't tell you not to. You're wasting your time. Right here is the rapture of a man into heaven. That people knew that God was used to rapturing him from one place to the next. Now it's not that God's picked him up and taken him to safety away from Ahab or taken him somewhere else where God wants to do like he will do. And we'll see next week with Philip or maybe the week after because I'm not going to wear you guys out. But here's rapture, the second rapture into heaven that God has told us. First Enoch, now Elijah. And all the time, there was a man that said, man, I want to be with that guy. I want to be with him. And so because of his desire, God gave him a double portion. You're going to find later on, if you read this, Elisha is, is said to have done twice the amount of miracles that Elijah did. It wasn't the man of God that Elijah. Elijah is a very, um, very unique man. He's the one that appears with Moses on the mountain of transfiguration when they appear, they appear to Jesus and Jesus is telling them about what's about to happen at the crucifixion. It was Elijah. And everybody knows, everybody talks about God's going to send Elijah. Elijah was unique. Nobody's going to be like Elijah. But it doesn't mean that Elisha can have a double portion of the Spirit and work for God and be uh, a, a, um, an instrument for God. And that's what happened. Yeah, and we'll leave it there because I don't want to bore you guys. We'll, next week we're going to look into Ezekiel, the prophet that God raptured from one place to another to see what he was doing. But the lesson here is how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Because it's coming. Now, whether you want it or not, if you're a Christian, you're going to be raptured. You're going to be raptured. You're going to be taken out of here. There was more for Elijah to do. But the time hadn't come for God to finish his work. And so he passes it on to Elisha. Peter, Paul, John, James, uh, Mary Magdalene, um, all of them that were here at that time were gone. They're not here, but you are. You are. And, and God has said, you know what? I have left you here and I am entrusting you to finish the work. 
And so he could have left Elijah to continue and Peter and Paul. And he didn't do that. He took that generation. He took them home, whether in death or in rapture. But now you're here. And you can be just as instrumental. You may not be Elijah, but you can have the power that rested upon him because it is the Spirit of God to accomplish things in his life for God's kingdom. How bad do you want it? Because Mary Magdalene was the first one to see him resurrected. She had the same kind of attitude. I'm not leaving, man. I'm here at the, I'm here at the tomb and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And you know who the first one to see him was? It wasn't Peter, it wasn't John, it was Mary Magdalene. He entrusts her with the message to say, hey, go and tell my disciples, they're all bummed out over there, that I'm resurrected. And then she's like, oh, master. And she falls at his feet. She says, don't touch me. He says, because I haven't ascended to my father yet. I still need to go up. And so... It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is how much you want to be filled with God's Spirit to do God's will and to glorify God's kingdom. How bad do you want it? Now we're all going to fail. Elijah wasn't perfect. When he was threatened that they were going to kill him, he ran off into the wilderness. And God had to find him in a cave and ask him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Don't you remember all I've done for you? know, he didn't ask him that, but I'm thinking, man, don't you remember all that God did for you? Why are you hiding here, man? It was after that that Elijah goes and he finds himself on top of this hill. And the Bible says he just has his hands on his face like this, on his knees. And he's like sitting like that, kind of like moping maybe. <laughs> it's kind of all bummed out. And all of a sudden, the king sends 50 men, a company of soldiers, to get him. They said, oh, man of God, come down. The king wants you. And Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, may God may fire come down from heaven and come soon, you and your 50. All of a sudden, <laughs> these guys are made chicharron, man. They're just, <laughs> they're just burnt to a crisp. And Elijah doesn't move. He just stays there. He's kind of pumped out. And here these guys are just still smoking. Smoke is still coming up probably from these guys' bodies. It's pretty sick. All of a sudden, the king sends another 50. You'd think the first one, look at those going, I'm not doing this. He, he was, he's like, hey, never mind. You come down here right now. The king's looking for you. He says, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down and consume you and your 50. I said, and they're gone. The third one comes up. He looks at all this and says, please be merciful to me. Please be my life be a precious in your eyes. I'm just doing what I'm told, man. Well, you, you know, the king wants you, but please be, look, let my life and the life of my men be precious. Now this guy comes humble. And, and then God says, okay. And so Elijah goes with them. That's the same thing that's going to happen in the, in the tribulation. There's going to be two prophets. And anybody that tries to take them, they'll be burned out with fire. Just like Elijah burnt those hundred soldiers. Elisha wanted to be as, as used by God, as filled with God's Spirit, as any man could want. And you know what? He got it. I want to go home. I want to go home. I want, I mean, this, I mean, I know what I, what I pray there is until God comes, I want to be salt and light for what's right. But what I really want is God's kingdom. 
I've told God, God, I said, Lord, you know, you left us here with these guys in charge for now. That's how you wanted it. But will you pastor me through this time? You know, this is what you want for now, but I want your kingdom to come. But until then, you have done, you have allowed this and you have put us in the hands of these men. And, and I've prayed, oh God, just like David said, you know, I want to fall in your hands because men are unmerciful. But until you come, I've asked him, show me, um, shepherd me through this life so I know where to go, what to do, what not to do, what not to say, what decisions to make, which ones not to make. I don't know what I'm doing, but you do. And this is a messed up world. This is a messed up place. And I need you to shepherd me through this. But most of all, I want you to come for us and bring us home. Go home. For now, he has you here. Until that moment that he raptures you into heaven, you need to be like Elijah. God says, I want you to go to Gilgal. Go to Gilgal. You got some business there. He tells you to go down to Bethel. Go down to Bethel. He's got business for you there too. You go down to Jordan because God sent you down to Jordan. You go down to Jordan. You say, okay, now I got to go across the Jordan. Go across the Jordan. You have no idea when in the journey God's coming for you. You have no idea. Just go on the journey. Just go. And sometime, somewhere on that journey, God's going to come for you and take you home. Now, it might be in death or it might be in the rapture. But we need to be like Elijah. Going about our father's business, that's what Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. When Mary and Joseph came looking for him after three days of him missing, he's back there talking with the priests and the Levites and all the Pharisees and Sadducees and everybody and their brother over in the temple. They say, man, we've been worried about you. Where you been, man? Why'd you do less like that? For three days, we didn't know where you were. What's going on? What happened? They're all, they're all upset. He said, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? I must be about, at 12 years old, Yeshua, God himself in the flesh, knew I must be about my father's business. What are we about? What are we doing? What is our main purpose? What do you want the most? I go to work and I tell God, you know, God, this is vain. This is empty. And it's, it's a vexation. It's vanity on the sun and vexation of spirit. But you've given me to do this. And you said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So God, will you manage through me? Will you administrate through me? Will you do this job through me? Because nobody can do it like you. But what I really want is for you to come for us and take me home. This is nonsense. I know that five years from now, ten years from now, this job will not matter. It doesn't matter. I don't care. But for now, I need to do the best I can like Joseph and Daniel did. Until he comes for me, you must be about your father's business and you must do the best you can at what you're doing. But never forgetting whose ambassador, whose representative you are, where you are. And what you should really, really, really want. And that's to go home. That's to see God coming for you. He's like, man, it's time to go home. Go home. What do you really want? What is your goal? What do you want more than anything else? Is it something here? Think about it in your head. Are you looking for a certain thing, a phone, a car, a house, 
What is it? Is there a catalog in your head that you're going for? You, you only you can answer that. But what do you really want? Look at the life of Elijah and Elisha before the rapture, because the rapture is about to happen. And you're going to leave it all behind. Everything's going to be left behind. What do you want? And what are you looking forward to? And how are you on your journey as you go through this life? Let's pray. <clears throat> Abba, we ask you that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would give us your desires in our heart, that our ambitions would be fashioned after what you want for us. Please shepherd us through this life. This life is so messed up, Lord. There's so much all over this world. Everywhere we look, it's messed up. We want to go home. But until then, will you shepherd us through this, this mess to know how to, how to walk through and, and get through this life until we get to you. We pray that you'll watch over us, protect us, lead us, shepherd us, provide for us, Lord. Help us not to be indebted to anybody. Father, you are our creator. You are our father. Everything comes from you. And Father, help us not to look to anybody for anything, but to understand that everything comes from you and not to be looking for somebody's handout. I don't want anybody's handout. They're not my father. I'm asking you to provide. I'm asking you to, to lead and to empower and to give us, Lord, the discernment that we need to get through this life. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, amen. All right. Uh, what time is it? 11.32. 11.32. How far? Hold on. 22 minutes? No, 11.22.